Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast, episode 1013, my discussion with John and Karina about their book, The Five Lost Superpowers. Enjoy. Just, just jumping into the podcast, guys, we've got Karina here just giving us a bit of a background before we jump into their new book, The Five Lost Superpowers. Sorry about that, Karina. We're, we're all good no to go. No problem. So, yeah, so I used to be an actor. So, yeah. um, the ways that, that that's how I started exploring um, authenticity, curiosity, playfulness, resilience. Um, was through uh, through that lens of trying to embody um, different human beings and explore those traits and activate them in myself and um, and I loved it. I loved just studying and trying to figure out and get inside human beings and their stories and all the crazy things that we do. Um, and then moved in. Um, coaching and training and facilitation and so that that's the lens that I now explore all of those um those same things uh through so I'm working with people to explore their curiosity resilience compassion etc talk you know and, and think about how they can utilize those um things so just helping people really um get those back into their lives so the five lost superpowers just touching on those quickly um curiosity resilience authenticity compassion and playfulness is that right you got it gotcha cool cool um so john what's your background mate you're obviously into this this arena as well of, of coaching and helping people uh reignite their their, their superpowers yes uh, my background i spent the first half of my career roughly in industry it was in the chemical industry and what's interesting about that if anything is that i had no chemistry background i wouldn't know an inorganic chemical from an organic chemical but i was i was i was successful i was a high performer and that success was based predominantly on my curiosity and the fact yeah. that i had this sort of learner's mindset and I took advantage of that mindset and people actually, you know, they do like to talk about themselves. They do like to feel smart and, and they are smart. And so curiosity was the first of the superpowers that came to mind when we thought about the five lost superpowers, because it's so near and dear to me and to what we do. Yeah. I love that curiosity piece too. And we'll, we'll jump into that in a second, but um, so you've written this book, the five lost superpowers. Why are they lost? Do you think? <laughs> Because life happens. So, I mean, is it lost over generations? Is it something that we had you know, 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago? Or is it just recently that we no longer connect with these, these attributes? Well, we're doing it through the, through the lens of childhood. So that we all, have, we all have these superpowers. We're born with them. And we exhibit them as children in a lot of really mm -hmm. delightful and, and some non-delightful ways. Um, <laughs> And then school structures, rules, fear, um, the various needs of our families and, and tribes um, sort of start to strip them away and, and diminish and, and change them. So um, we talk about in, in the book, the process of, of, of how life impacts them and then how we can regain and reaccess these wonderful traits that are already inside of us to be gotcha. um, more so we're saying that, yeah, just through um, adulthood, I suppose, or, or that transition from our childhood to adulthood, we we lose um, connection with these these um, superpowers. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it, life happens, as Karina said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think we can all relate to that, can't we? <laughs> yes, especially anybody that remembers middle school well. 
Yeah. So do you think some people are just more um, innately advantaged with these superpowers that, that come through? I mean, Carl, I mean, I'll take that. Sure. I mean, there's different personality types. There's enough about the human condition. There's enough, there's genetics. I mean, there's a lot of things that may predispose somebody to be more curious than somebody else um, in terms of their personality, but all of us have this ability to do these things. Yeah. Uh, and, and we might have an innate ability to do one and the other ones are a little bit more, uh, you know, diminished in us, but they were, but they were all there when we were young. In fact, when we did the research, which we did a lot of, we, you know, we had to think, are these the five, are they the right five? Do they hold up? Do, do all kids have them? And, uh, the sense was that they do, right. That they, yeah. they do hold up. Are there more than these five or are these, you know, just the five most important ones or most critical ones? Karina, you want to, I mean, Karina, you want to handle that? We we discussed the five quite a bit. Do you want to handle yeah, that, Karina? We did. We talked about it a lot, and and there were other things that came up, but but we felt like everything that we, all the various traits that we discussed, are are can be encapsulated in these five, so that um, things like risk taking might be in in resilience and playfulness, and you know, uh, yeah, that 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 these five encompass. The, the, the traits that you that you'd want to access and that will make you sort of a, a, a better, more effective grown up. And they stand alone, right? They're distinct. They're not. There's no overlap between. I mean, they are related, but they're, they're they they stand on their own. How are they related? Well, I mean, you you could argue uh, quickly that like playfulness is is you get into imagination, you get into creativity, and then you know right down the street is curiosity. So you, you start to see that sort of, uh, you can also curiosity and compassion, you know, there's a relationship because to be compassionate, I've got to be paying attention. I've got to be curious about others. I got to be curious about what they're going to. Mm. So there is some relationship, but, but again, they do stand alone. They stand alone. Okay. Well, let's jump into them. Um, we'll start with curiosity. I think that's a really good one. And, and Einstein for, for me comes to mind when I think about curiosity, but um, let's jump into that. How do you summarize curiosity? I mean, I'll, I'll take curiosity. Uh, I think curiosity at, at the core of curiosity, really, we, we have it as kids. We lose it for the reasons, you know, we're, we're told don't ask any questions. Now, not the time for questions. We get rewarded yeah. for answers. I mean, a, a lot of things happen to us. And, you know, we start to form a perspective and an opinion. And for many people, we start to fall in love with our perspective. And we think our perspective is the truth when it's simply a perspective. Yeah. And if we can, you know, let go of the chains that we are right, but just that we have a perspective, it does free us to be curious about other people. But a lot of curiosity for adults is just getting out of our own way. And our yeah. own need to be right and our own need to know and our own need for to be confident, all that stuff gets in the way of, of really being curious. And so, I, I mean, I think it's a powerful topic, but I think at its core, we've got to be perspective seeking and far less interested in what we think we know. Right. Yes. The more we know, the less we know. Yep. <laughs> the, um, the curiosity piece. I mean, for me, I, I sort of think about how the brain develops and how we, you know, as we grow um, in life, we are set on autopilot. Do you think a lot of curiosity is lost because we, we just run on autopilot? You know, we hold on to our beliefs and perspectives. Um, the way we do things are just all, all rem remembered uh, and rehearsed. So therefore, we don't have to be as curious. 
I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a couple of things. One clear thing is that we're cognitively miserly, the cog cognitive brain, we get tired, it wears out. So we're always trying to save energy and we're trying to take shortcuts. Here's where all the biases come in. Here's where, you know, everything that we, we know about system one, system two, or whatever, you know, model you want to latch onto. And so in doing and being cognitively lazy, we're going to take shortcuts. We're not going to ask as many questions. We're going to make assumptions. We're going to draw conclusions. And it's, that's probably, I think the biggest thing. And the second biggest thing, I guess, would be, you know, the confirmation bias, like I said, and the, and the wanting to be right and valuing being right more than valuing the truth. Most people, when push comes to shove, would admit they'd rather, there's more than maybe the comfort in the truth or seeking the truth. And so they'll, and, they'll and, say, yeah, to build off that, what John is saying is we, we have a lifetime of being rewarded for being recognized and rewarded for having the right answer in, in ways that were rarely rewarded for asking questions or digging in or being curious. So we yeah, yeah. get used to that feeling of what it means to be right, to know. Yeah, yeah it's definitely a big um, obstacle, isn't it, that gets in our way? Yeah. What do, what do you do to develop curiosity? Well, how do you how do you help others develop curiosity? Well, there's a I mean, couple of things is you, you got to go after the mindset and the belief system. With any learning and development, you've got to get to the underlying belief system. People are yeah. acting based upon a belief or an attitude, so you got to address that. And like I mentioned, one of the beliefs is that you know we're right. We just yeah. have a perspective, and and so you you can address that in a number of ways uh, to go after that. Once you get them there to say, okay, I, I see what you're saying, then you can get into things like, well, how do you ask better questions? Uh, how do you actually perspective seek? Uh, how do you get more curious? But you first have to have people self-discover most of these things like curiosity, accountability, trust, any subject like that. You've got to have people very quickly self-discover that they're not where they want to be. Yeah. And there are clever ways to do that in learning and development. There are awful ways to do that in learning and development. Uh, but that's, that's the secret sauce to get people to be receptive. And then, yeah, yeah. then, then, they're, then they're open up. Is that the same with all these these attributes, resilience, authenticity, compassion, playfulness? Do we need to start um, somewhere before we get into the actual individual ones as to how we perhaps develop resilience and curiosity, like what practices we can put in place? I don't think, I don't think resilience would be, I, th I think curiosity is the one, is probably the biggest one where you have to unwind people. The rest, I've, it may be authenticity too, right, Karina? I mean, authenticity probably, people need to get out of their own way, but you would know that more than I do. Yeah, I think curiosity is the one that involves the most, as, as John just said, unwinding, um, because right. it's been so specifically rewarded for being right instead of being curious. Um, and, and, yeah. and, and we're so outcome-based. Um, so we're always looking for how to arrive and get there, you know, instead of, uh, you know, the cliche of enjoying the ride. Um, we just don't do that. We're, we're driving towards outcomes and answers. And that often keeps us from being curious. I mean, I know, you know, as a, as a coach, as a, as a coach, you, you have to stay curious about your clients. And it's really hard not to assume pretty early on that you know what's going on and, and that you have a lot of good ideas for this person, right? And it's like literally your job is to, is to force yourself to stay curious 
about this human being in front of you and and not know things about them and let them continue um, to reveal themselves. And it's a it's a practice. It's a, it's a discipline um, mm. to stay curious, to stay in a state of wonder. You got to sort of be open minded. Then, yeah, you can't just well open mindedness is is probably what it's all about. Yeah, open mindedness and 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 just sort of actively reminding yourself. I think it's almost like a mantra for me as a coach, like stay curious, stay curious. You know, I'll, I'll feel myself wanting to jump in and be like, okay, here's what's going on. Here's an idea, right? And, it, yeah. and it's stay curious, stay curious. Keep ask, ask and said, keep asking. Is there any practices daily that we could we could put in place to help us with, you know, remaining curious? I mean, I, I think it's... Go ahead, Karina. Go ahead. John, I mean, you're, you know, John, John's first sort of recommendation with Curious is ask better questions. And I do think asking better questions reveals more interesting things about situations and people and that you, people will get rewarded by asking better questions, mm. but, but the, but that's a practice too. You can, you can notice the instinct to tell or to give your idea or give your answer and say, I'm going to ask some, I'm going to, instead of doing that, I'm going to ask a question instead. It's, yeah. you know, sort of noticing the, the impulse to tell and ask instead, like that, that yeah, feels we, like a daily, a daily practice. We have a great activity uh, that we have these topics that people have some emotion around and we ask them to pick one that they have some emotion around. So it, it would mm -hmm. be something like, uh, in the States, it would be, you know, college should be free. Well, some people feel strongly that college shouldn't be free. Yeah. And then we ask them, then, then I role play somebody who says college should be free and they have to ask me questions. And it's a for adults to ask questions. And they, they realize it pretty quickly. Their questions are, don't you think, wouldn't you agree? What about, you know, just a way. Yeah. And what do you see as the benefit of that? They just can't. So it's easy to be curious, somewhat easy to be curious on the stuff we have a intelligence on. Like I like point of view on gardening and I could ask a lot of questions on gardening. <laughs> um, but something that matters, you know, that, that has any kind of meaning, emotional, it's, it's hard to get out of our own way. So that's something, you know, you have to first recognize and then you can overcome it, but you have to recognize it first. You got to recognize it, yeah. Like a lot of these things, I think the um, resilience piece. Let's jump into that. What's uh, resilience, and and how do we develop this? I'll, I'll I'll pass that to you. Resilience, yeah, and it's I really like the resilience chapter. Our colleague Lene wrote it, and um, it gives some some active things that that you can do. So resilience is um, knowing your locus of control. So recognizing uh, that, that, that you can control response to things and that that will impact you and your life in a significant way. Um, it's about finding your own meaning and purpose in what's happening to you. So not, not necessarily subscribing to any um, sort of grander ideas about what things are supposed to mean, but, you know, or, or, or even this idea that everything happens for a reason, but mm. an ability yourself to find meaning and purpose in the things that are happening in your life. Um, so, which is related to locus of control. Um, 
and, and, and then there's just uh, and there's also the explanatory style, the optimism, right? Look, you know, looking at things in a way that, you know, this comes from Seligman, the idea that people who are resilient, you know, when things happen, uh, mm. they think that they're temporary, they're not permanent, you know, it's not about them personally. So just being able to fight off all those demons that happen when things go wrong, uh, yeah. and seeing yeah. what they are is is what resilient people do and resilience is something that can be taught and can be built it's not you're born resilient or not born resilient it's something that you can work on you can work on so what can we do to work on resilience or becoming more resilient well i think it's go ahead sorry noticing noticing when you do have an opportunity to make a choice about how you're responding to something and whether or not that choice is serving you um, it can be something as simple as when you're stuck in traffic, are you honking the horn and swearing at the person next to you? Or are you turning on an interesting podcast or listening to some music? Um, I mean, that's very banal. And there, there are terrible things that happen, obviously, to good people. Um, but, but really practicing, right? Practicing noticing all the moments in which you think you're not in control and you think this thing is happening to you and that this is the only way to respond, but there may likely be 40 other ways you can respond that are gonna serve you better. Um, mm. What are you paying attention to? Like noticing what the, who's, who's got your attention in this you know, world of competition and is, are the things and the people that you're paying attention to serving you, feeding you, making you stronger? Who's in your tribe? A tri- she, Lene talks about how important it is to have resilient people have a tribe and it can yeah. just be two people it can be five it can be two it can be 12 but some people that are your people that you can go to and have your back um yeah and it's a tribe that doesn't anchor you it's not surrounding yourself with people who say yeah it does stink or it does you know suck <laughs> right. you're not going to make it it's a tribe of people who are out for the best in you so it's it's not just a tri- any old tribe it's a tribe that is going to help you in times of uh, when the times are tough. Yeah, yeah, got that. Okay, and authenticity. I mean, this one here. I mean, it's it's quite quite out there, and I, I feel it's a little bit overplayed sometimes. But um, how do you describe authenticity? And then we might jump into how do we develop that too. Yeah, you know, the the authenticity chapter is is about um, the ways in which we. Um, explore our own authenticity and think about authenticity. Mm. Um, you know, the idea of, of authenticity in children, um, we, we see authenticity on the playground tenfold, right? We see kids that are, that are you know, they're, they're screaming and they're yelling and they're, they're, they're laughing joyfully and they're playing with abandon and you really do have a sense with young children that what you see is what you get, you know, to a fault, um, and also in this really delightful way. Um, and and of course, the idea that being authentic as a grown up doesn't mean that you just unleash your three year old self into the world. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but what is there in that um, in that authentic child that is delightful and is positive and is going to serve you as a grown up? Um, that you can access, which is, which is, you know, your, your truth and your comfort and your joy um, and being able to feel like you get to realize the full potential of who you are. 
Um, and, and we, as we grow up, of course, we do put so many constraints and boundaries on who we are and how we behave and what we think is proper and what we think we should do. And we build walls to protect ourselves. And, um, yeah, we so, just cover up that authentic, authentic self, don't we? Yeah. Because, because our invite, so many different environments give us, give us clues and, and that we should be behaving in certain ways. And, and we are very good adapters and survivors. And so we, mm spend our whole life adapting to all these different environments and sometimes we get lost <laughs> behind all that adaptation so this is about kind of um free freeing yourself and figuring out in in maybe a playful way um what how can i show up and adapt and flex to these different environments but do it in a way that is as fully um me and comfortable uh, as possible like how can i how can I be a person that knows how to flex to my environment, but also thrive um, and feel like I'm unleashing the potential of who I am? Yeah, it's a much better way to be, isn't it? When you start really um, being authentic as yourself, rather than trying to be someone who you're not. Well, it's exhausting to be someone who you're exhausting. not. Exhausting. <laughs> it's got to be exhausting. I don't know how people do it. It's got to be exhausting. I, yeah, there's that aphorism, which I kind of hate, you know, be yourself, everybody else is taken, but it's kind of true. If you're not, who you are then who are you being anyway and why I think it just takes time like just to to reconnect with that like I get it that we you know we we cover it up and mask it as we try and uh, find our way in the world but I, I guess as, as you travel along I feel anyway my experience that I've, I've developed this sense of authenticity just by um by having that suffering that you know being myself when I wasn't myself and feeling that and then slowly learning, okay, well, this is my purpose. This is what it's about. And slowly through that process, finding my authenticity, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's definitely a process. And especially because I think that, that we, we learn more about ourselves as we get older. And so we discover more and more of who we are and, and who we want to be. And we can yeah, lean in. And yeah. I think, you know, time's running out. And so you have wisdom and you're like, okay, who, who, how am I going to show up for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years? I know what I've been mm -hmm. doing for the last 10, 20, 30, but I got 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever ahead of me. Isn't it about time I be me? I mean, yeah. the best version of me, right? The best, there's a, you know, I, when I, I, I'm very authentic. And when I was young, you know, I would walk in a room and I would interrupt people and, you know, people would say, you, you shouldn't do that. And I'd be, that's just me. That's who I am. But that, mm -hmm. that was not a great version of me. That is me. I do walk into yeah. a room and interrupt people, but, um, but I can be a better version of me. I can still come into that room. I can still be me and not be a jerk, not interrupt. And so for some people, they fall in love with the caricature of themselves. They see mm. themselves yeah. as this way, whatever that way is, and they can't find their way back to who they are. And, or they yeah. think finding their way back will be inauthentic when it actually is authentic. Now, there's probably uh, a sense of vulnerability there at play, and, and you know that requires courage to be yourself, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. That that's that's in there, and and also the just the massive favor that we do for other people when we show up authentically. You know, when when we're the first one to admit that we're struggling or hurting or um, anxious, then then we give permission to other people. Um, mm to reveal more of themselves it, so it in in that way it's just a gift that we give when we when we can show up uh, authentically and and give other people permission to do the same thing 
Yeah, it's a, yeah. Friend, a friend of a friend of mine calls it the gift of going second. That mm-hmm. you know they get to go second because I've gone first and I've allowed space for them to be who they are. And I think that's a beautiful way to put it. And I think that's every leader's and manager's job to kind of make that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Um, compassion. Let's go there. This is a really important one. Yes, compassion was uh, interesting because. As we sorted through and, you know, uh, author Andrew, Andrew wrote this, he was a school teacher and, yeah. he, you know, so we relied on him some because he has childhood education. He's a, you know, got a master's in that. So he's smart about all this stuff. And so he had to sign off and say, yep. And he brought to the table compassion. And there was a little bit of like, are kids really compassionate? I mean, they're tough on each other. He says, yes, young kids, you know, somebody falls, they all run around, they all take care of each other, even if the kid is not necessarily everybody's friend in that moment, they go to take care of him and try to alleviate his pain. And I like compassion and Karina and I may disagree here, whether or not she likes compassion too, but you know, I thought empathy has been way overdone and I have an empathy and just, you know, all of that. What, you know, compassion is really empathy in action. Mm. It's what makes compassion different than empathy is you're actually doing something to alleviate the pain. You're taking action. Now that has risk. Uh, we may feel like what happened, something bad could happen to us if I take action, what could happen if I take action, but it is really the living, breathing action behind an empathy, empathetic feeling, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing I really like about, that I think it's important to recognize about compassion and children and why children are compassionate is that, is that children believe that everybody is worthy of compassion. So children haven't developed such a strong sense of who their tribe is and who deserves compassion and who doesn't. And that that's something that really gets disrupted, of course, as we become yeah, it's like us versus them, isn't it? Tribalism and, yeah. and yeah. protecting and, you know, your own self-interest. So we we sort of we we then muffle compassion in that process. Well, if it's us, we tend to think it's an individual, it's too bad, you know, they didn't deserve it, we should take care of them, this is, you know, if it's them, it's like, well, you know, they are, and they got what they deserve, and what are we supposed to do about them? So this Mm -hmm. us-them paradigm really strips away compassion that existed when we were children. Yeah, yeah. What, um, how do you, I mean, other than self-awareness, I think self-awareness is, is the key to all of these things, but how do we develop compassion? Like, how do we focus in on that? Like, it's, it's innately there. Like, we're all compassionate, but is it just remembering? It, it, well, a little bit, right? It's a little bit of expanding. It's inclusivity, right? I mean, it's, it's, this mm. is very D&I, D-E-N-I. But, you know, the, the more I broaden my scope of what is us, the more likely I am to be compassionate. And the more narrowly I define the us, the more limited I'm going to be compassionate. So getting out of my own way and finding more what we have in in common than how we are different will increase. So, you know, so I'm a big believer in diversity, but I'm a bigger believer in inclusivity and in the idea that we need to find out what we share, because if we find that out, uh, then we're far more likely to be compassionate and understanding and perspective seeking. Yeah, and that's really curious. That's probably that. What do you think, uh, Karina? I think that if that that alone would make a big difference for people if they really embrace mm. that. Yeah, and remembering that that key distinction that that you brought up earlier that compassionate compassion is active. So it it I right. think we can exhaust ourselves with empathy. Um, yes. 
and but and and that's all well and good that you understand and can relate to how people feel but it can really drain you of your energy to do anything when you just go around empathizing with everybody so that that mm. helped me to think you know where i want to put my energy is into being compassionate so that i can think about how i can do maybe do something here um yeah, to, to the, the interesting thing about perspective seeking curiosity and a lot of these things is the wealthier one becomes and the more successful one becomes and there was just an article i saw uh, about this you know the, the brain chemistry around this but power and wealth and success can actually diminish one's compassion diminish one's perspective seeking because they simply think that that's something other people should worry about you know i don't need to think about other people um i'm higher on the food chain i've been successful and nobody thought of me you know there's a story that now this, it's not fait accompli. You can be wealthy and be compassionate. <laughs> but it, according to the research and the brain chemistry, it may be more challenging. You have to be more conscious of it, the better off you are, which is maybe for some people counterintuitive, but that's, that's, the, that's what the research is telling us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, I know the, uh, the last one here, playfulness, uh, Karina, you're probably the best person to start with that, being an actor, actress. <laughs> really? <laughs> John actually wrote that chapter, but yes, it, it's. Did you write that chapter, John? No, I oh, did. I apologize. Yeah. No, no, no. Here, Karina says about my lovely chapter. Yeah, let's see what she says. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, it's funny that you say as an actor because I love playfulness as a coach, actually, because when I'm working with my clients and they're trying to play with the boundaries of their authenticity or, um, you know, you've been asking a lot about, well, what can, what are some things that we can do to try to be more compassionate or more resilient or curious? And what does that really mean when you show up to a situation and do something differently? Like, you know, um, offer an idea before you usually would or speak up in a meeting or mm. whatever it is. And what we do is play, you know, we play around with the edges of what's comfortable and go try new things. And so I always encourage them to be playful as they're, as they're experimenting and, um, and trying to rewire a little bit. Because if you take yourself too seriously while you're trying to change your behavior and do new things and be courageous and take risks, uh, it's gonna be really, really hard. But if you can bring in a little bit of play it's going to get a lot easier and be a lot more fun. Yeah. I try to play a bit, but it is hard. It is hard to relearn how to play. John, what, what made you write this chapter? Isn't that a funny sentence? It's hard to play. It's hard to learn. It's weird. What made me write this? Well, I, I mean, it's, we're talking about children and you can't talk about children without thinking well, they're playful. And then you got to look at, well, is that a good thing? Would that be a good thing in adults? And when you do the research and it's in the book, you know, yes, a lot of the mistakes or problems are, you know, are attributed to our lack of play. Mm. Um, and so, and then the more you read about the topic or the more you research in the topic, I mean, there, I, there's a quote on page 102 of the book, which I love, which I'm going to, but the board of innovation. So there's this thing called the board of innovation. Mm. And they say ideation is not a matter of getting the right people in the room, adding some post-its and beers to the mix and waiting for three hours for the next disruptive venture to somehow come into being. Okay, so it's not just that. So what is it? Well, they, here's where they get wrong. They go, a good ideation session is hard work. Wow. Yippee. Here we go. <laughs> you know, we just can't get out of our own way. And yeah. we're talking about, let's get creative, but don't, you know, it's hard work. 
it, it can't be play. You can have fun. It's just, it's just we're, we can't get out of our own way and accept the reality that, you know, play and being playful, not uh, and having is engaging at the right, you know, the again, the neurochemistry is right here. Um, and so we want to get on that side of that. There's another recent article, I think it's in the Atlantic, where with the great resignation going on, this author, uh, another book coming out, he talks about play, that plays the answer. Well, I think, mm. and I don't think anything is the answer. I think play is one of the answers. <laughs> um, but clearly, playfulness and, and allowing other people to be playful makes them more engaged, makes them more willing to take risk, you know, recognizes that if I make a mistake, it's not the end of the world, creating that environment where risk can be taken, vulnerability can be shown, all happens in sort of atmosphere of play. There's still rules, there's still, you know, things to be done, but it's, it's much more freeing and liberating than it is uh, mm-hmm. anything else. I can really see how playfulness um, really would drive all the other attributes we've talked today as well. You know, I can, I can see how playfulness will help with curiosity. I can see how it will develop uh, a sense of compassion and and authenticity Um, and certainly resilience as well. That's actually got a big part to play in it all. And I think if we could just learn to not take things so seriously, life is serious, but it's okay to have, have fun, you know, on the ride. And one thing you've mentioned, is that a lot of these require, you know, some degree of courage or risk taking, and and those things just happen naturally when you're playing. Hmm. When when you're being playful, you embrace risk taking, and and it, you feel more courageous. So there, it, that that's a great way to put it. I think play hmm. is a sort of a, it's yeah. almost like a vehicle to all of these other things. We were introduced to uh, by one of our colleagues, Lev Vygotsky. He's this Russian um, psychologist who years ago, back in the 1930s, talked about the playing a head taller, that he noticed that kids on the playground played a head taller. Six-year-olds played like eight-year-olds, maybe eight-year-olds ten, played like 10-year-olds, which just means they took these risks. And, you know, we argue with our clients, and not argue, we, we present the reality that sometimes we're playing a head shorter. You know, mm. we're not all that we can be. We're, we're, we're playing it safe. And that has implications to us, our career, how we feel about ourselves, but also the people that work for us and, all, and also the world at large. So, you know, we encourage people to play ahead taller. And we think playfulness is one of the key five superpowers. Play ahead taller. I like that. The five lost superpowers available on Amazon. Uh, link will be in the show notes. Uh, John and Karina, thank you so much for your time coming on the show today. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I hope it's left you guys uh, wondering what's in these superpowers. So make sure you pick up a copy of the book and check out the episode show notes at thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. 
You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Martin Lutzi. until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon